0: What's up everybody? Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast with your host Aaron Dante who brings you the hottest interviews with the dopest people sharing their experiences all across the world. Now here's your host Aaron Dante!
1: Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host Aaron Dante. Folks, I'm back recharged from vacation Man, we all need vacation. We all need time to reset. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. Relax. Fish, crab, eight beautiful things. Come back. Ton of emails, folks. I will get back to you with the emails. Trust me. I love it. I appreciate it. Then I get calls. Well, yeah, you're in a newspaper paper. I'm like, what? You're actually in the print paper. I look at I'm looking at it right now. Like, wow. I'm in Baltimore Sun newspaper. Wow. So again, for the for the best of Baltimore. So I appreciate all of you who voted, all you have readers have listened to, been with me day one from to now. Thank you so much. This is an exciting episode. I came for for you guys to listen. I'm back, recharge, reset. Let's do this thing. Pipe wrench is a new online magazine. You'll find links to conversation pieces, playlists, essays, poems, and more by folks from all walks of life. Responding to the ideas, the main feature. Each issue is like a dinner party, full of thoughtful, fascinating people inspiring each other to build on each other's work, references, and ideas. You can read more from Pipe Wrench and subscribe online at www.piperenchmag.com.
2: What is going on, beautiful people? What is going on, beautiful aliens and everyone that is listening to this beautiful podcast that's floating out there in this universe? What is going on? Aaron, Dante, what's up, baby? What's
1: up, brother? How you feeling, man? I'm so happy you're back on the show. That is
2: dope, man. We are back again. No pics after dark. I have a nice update for you, for your Ivan Minute. Yo, here we go, here we go, here we go. You already know exactly where I am about to go. We don't know how this happened. We do not know how this happened. Yep, yep, yep. Your boy. How did that happen? How did he... Seeing Bill Cosby get out of jail is the equivalent of the same feeling that you would have when you was a little kid in school and there was a bully that was always picking on people and always coming to class late and always getting in trouble, and then somehow he gets out of the principal's office and it's like, well, damn. How how is it that Billy can come to class late every single day, don't turn into assignments, be talking and stuff, and then after that I throw one spitball and it's in-school suspension? We got to do something, man. Things have had to change. Things have got to change. And on top of that, I see some of y'all out there not wearing no mask. What is up with you? Like, come on. Like, masks have officially became the new condom. Think about it. It's like, you don't got to wear it. But you should. It would be in your best interest. Now, you don't have to. Let's just say you are with your significant other. And you know this person's past and where they've been in life and who they've been around. Because you all have had these conversations. But if you like to swing and just walk around Walmart and don't know nobody, then you need to put your mask on. My name is Ivan Martin. And I'm here for you people to continue to bring the laugh and the funny and the information on No Picks After Dark. Thank you all very much. My name is Ivan Martin. You can catch me at Comedian Ivan Martin on Instagram and Facebook. And please be sure to look out because this year's Baltimore Comedy Festival will be outstanding Labor Day week. And of course, No Picks After Dark will be there. Thank you all. Peace.
1: At Fishnet, every plate served starts with the freshest, high quality fish. Sourced from local waters whenever possible. You get fine dining excellence delivered in a cozy, unpretentious, fast, casual setting. Delicious does not even begin to describe it. Everything I've tried is made from scratch and incredible. The best fish I've ever had. Check them out for lunch or dinner at Mount Vernon Marketplace. Get caught in the fishnet. You'll be glad you did. Menu and details at eatfishnet.com.
3: Thanks for having me, Erin. Hi, everyone. It's Amber, your neighborhood urban designer. I wanted to talk today about gentrification. I'm sure some of you heard the city's rejection of maglev, and a big part of their reasoning as to why is because of fears around gentrification. So gentrification has a negative connotation, and rightfully so, because so often gentrification results in displacement. I mention this because many people tie those two things together, gentrification and displacement. And although sometimes they are related, they are two separate and distinct things. In its truest definition, gentrification is when the character of a neighborhood shifts due to new development that is often raising the economy and property values in a neighborhood. So for existing homeowners, this is not always a bad thing as they can grow or generate wealth. However, the negative perspective towards gentrification often has to do with the displacement or exodus of poorer residents because they can no longer afford to live in their neighborhood anymore because of the increasing property values or rents. Or they choose to leave because the demographic shifts and um, loss of a particular culture or community that previously existed has since evolved or changed due to the influx of new residents and all of this is to say that when we talk about gentrification we should be careful that we are distinguishing between that and displacement and there are lots of tools and creative solution in other cities that are exploring and um implementing ideas to reduce displacement while improving economies in historically disinvested communities. Um, There's great examples in Detroit and many many other cities, Oakland. Um, So economic growth without displacement is viable and I wish that we as a city would plan and design solutions for all of our neighborhoods to make sure that we're keeping residents in their communities while welcoming bold visions for things like mass transportation like Maglev, and um i just want to mention this because i think it's it's so important that we think uh far into the future about our city and make sure we're planning and designing equitably the no
1: picks after dark podcast is proudly partnered with remix bar and grill located at 819 east pratt street just north of harbor east Remix is a sports bar offering a sole food menu. With over 20 TVs, pool tables, outdoor patio seating, and private rooms, Remix is set up to be your premier downtown destination to watch all your favorite sporting events. Open from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 a.m., Friday and Saturday, and 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday. Check out Remix Bar & Grill on Instagram, and Facebook under at R-Y-M-K-S Baltimore for daily happy hour specials and weekly events. Remix Baltimore.
0: Hey, Aaron, thank you for having me back. Guys, you did such a great job in responding to me and you guys asked me a lot of questions about dating. So guess what? I have two more questions to you in reference to dating. All right. So let's say so go back to first week to listen to what we talked about before. So I have two more questions for you. The first thing is you've met someone, right? So now you need to know, hey, before I start dating them, here are the two most important questions you need to ask yourself. Number one, do I find this person attractive? All right. We want to say that looks are not everything and it's not everything. But guess what? We can't have them looking crazy. Right. And you have to be attracted to them. So ask yourself, am I attracted to this person? Whether it's looks, personality, whatever. Am I attracted to this person? If you say yes, you can proceed to question number two. If you say no, you can only be friends with this person, guys. All right. Number two. Is there something about this person, in their scenarios or their situation or circumstances, that would prevent me from dating them? All right. Again, if you say no, proceed to dating. If you say yes, they can only be friends. Hope this helps. Again, hey, I'm professional life coach Gary O'Neill Jr. And You can always check me out on uh, Instagram or Facebook and out here in the social media world. Check out, check me out, life coach Gary O'Neill. Junior, as well as you can catch out, catch my podcast, The c plan Do Show. Check me out on all of the streaming platforms. Take it away, Aaron.
1: Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information, when booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at endowellness.com or call at 443 438 4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante, and today we have a great show for you, folks. I'm so excited for you guys to listen. I'm located in Highlandtown, Baltimore. Uh, we are the Crown Industries. Let me tell you something. When I was driving around here, I was like, I have no idea where I am, but I hope she can find me when I get here. So the artist, Miss Katie Pumphrey, how are you doing today?
4: Hi, great, excited to be here.
1: I am so excited you're on the show. I am so excited. Um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
4: Well, uh, I'm Katie, hi. And uh, let's see, where should I start? I'm an artist. Um, As you know, you're in my studio right now. Those are my paintings over there. Um, I'm an artist. I'm also an open water swimmer. Uh, I've been in Baltimore for 16 years now, including uh, my time at MICA. I went to MICA for undergrad. Um, And I love Baltimore. That's the reason I'm still here.
1: I love it. I love it. So I first noticed her work online. I was like,
4: damn,
1: her, 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 her work is dope. Then I, was, I looked at the price tag. I was like, oh, I'm broke. I can't do that. But I like, I can observe from a far distance.
4: I accept payment plans.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm looking around the studio, folks, and I want to have some video from the studio. It blows my mind. Some of this artwork, I mean, I'm just like, wow, like just blown away. And then I saw her on one of those alphabet channels, and I was like, oh, yeah, we got to get her on the show. We got to get her on the show. And like, again, it's an honor. For me to come and just be here with you to welcome me into your studio, thank you so much for me being here. I mean, it is amazing. I'm seeing the work she's working on. I'm like, yo, this is this is legit. This is some legit stuff. This is some behind the scenes. So I appreciate you.
4: Oh, my pleasure. So, yeah.
1: did you? Are you originally from Baltimore, again? Are you originally from here?
4: No, I grew up in Frederick, Maryland. Okay, Frederick County, technically.
1: Frederick County. Okay. So, like, growing up in Frederick County, what was like your fondest, like, favorite childhood memory growing up?
4: It's a good question. Um, I have a lot. Um, Yeah, I don't know. My my family is... uh, I'm the youngest of four, so I have three older siblings. So a lot of my childhood memories include my two older brothers and my older sister tormenting, torturing, or, um, you know, making fun of me in any way possible, uh, as siblings do. Um, And they all still... We all live close together, so... um, that's great because we get to hang out a lot too. Um, but a lot of my childhood memories that I go to first are include swimming. So um, really little and early memory is like we, my first house. But we, before we moved to Frederick County, we actually lived in Harford County, and uh, we had this like small, tiny above ground pool that someone had given us, and. It was probably like way messy and like dirty of a pool, but I remember it being perfect. <laughs> and uh, But like late in the evening, um, you know, just after that, like as the sun's going down, my dad and I used to swim, And then play, like, I Spy, just the two of us. It was awesome. (laughs) I think it was also a great break because usually my siblings would get out of the pool and then my dad and I would play this game. So when my siblings were in the pool, my brothers were usually, you know, it's one of those circle above ground pools. So my brothers would run, because it's real shallow, of course, run as fast as they could in the circle. My sister usually would get out at that point because, you know, not a swimmer. and I, would, I would just hang on to one of those giant inflatable beach balls, right? This is when I was, like, five or so. So, like, I could swim, but I was still, you know, finding my way through how do I swim in waves. Um, so my brothers would just, like, run as fast as they could and make a whirlpool, and I would just be hanging on for dear life on this beach ball.
1: <laughs> I love it. No, that's, that, that's awesome. I mean, I mean, I remember I grew up, my parents were like, you're going to learn how to swim. And I remember, like, the first time, that my, find my, like my memory was my dad worked at Goucher college and they did uh, swimming classes up there, like for their like, you know, parents and like their kids and whatnot. And I remember I was a little skinny little bean and they're like, jump in 20 feet deep water. And I looked at the <laughs> swimming instructor. I remember like you out your mind, I'm not jumping in this water. And she's like, come on, just jump in. Like, I'm going to be in here. Just get over that fear. And so the swim instructor jumped in the water and I remember I stood on that ledge for about 10 minutes shaking and I was just like, I can't, I can't see the bottom. And that was my fondest memory of learning how to swim. But then I later on became a lifeguard and like enjoy swimming. It was on swimming teams and things of that nature. So I love that memory of the family, swimming pools. And that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Did you jump in? I did eventually.
4: Nice.
1: And then, you know, you had to do like to get the third a quarter in nickel and dimes and right. just try to figure it out. And that's when our gang was fun, you know. But that first moment, I, that sticks out in my mind. I just remember like shaking on you know, it. Like, I'm not jumping in this water. And, you know, you're like jumping in. You're like, I hope somebody gets me. I hope somebody gets me. And, you know, it's yeah. a trust factor, you know.
4: Then the instructor got you. I'm, like, I'm here now. I'm talking. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little nervous. I am here
1: now. Woo. Thank you to the instructor who saved me that day. So, Growing up, you know, were you ever into arts and crafts? Were you, like, hanging out in the art arts scene when you were younger? Like, I remember I was in art shows when I was in middle school, high school. I didn't think I was an artist. I would just, like, try and create something. Were you re- really into that?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely my youngest, I was always, you know, elementary school, I was always drawing, always coloring. Um, and I kind of always knew I was going to be an artist. And I had this strange thought of, like, I'll get to it. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to keep, like I was like always like drawing comics and copying cartoons and drawing everything I could. But I also was super focused on swimming. And so I thought, oh, I'll study more seriously. And I wasn't like taking art classes outside of school or anything. Um, Although art was definitely like my favorite class. Um, And the middle school, I was actually super into chorus. So, and I guess I was in elementary school too, but, and like musical theater and, um, my eighth grade year, you know, you got to pick two electives, not just one. It was very exciting. And so I took chorus again, as I had um, previously. And then for my second elective, I actually signed up for acting. Okay. And it was full. So they put me in art. Ah. And I was like, all right, I knew I'd get to it. I'll just start now. So (laughs) then eighth grade, I got really into it. And then high school, I took every art class I possibly could. Um, And, uh, you know, kind of went from there. But I think. I don't know. I don't know why I had the feeling of like I'll always be an artist. No rush. Um, like I do remember specifically playing the game life. <laughs> remember that game?
1: Yeah. That, <laughs> so that, I don't know if young people know about that game. That's, that's one of the best games. But
4: ever. one of the best parts of that game was you got a car, right? Your, your little player piece was a car. Right. It was a Volvo station wagon, oh, which was. is my first car. Uh-oh. 1990 Volvo station wagon. <laughs> so I always got the white one. Cause that's what we had growing up, which then became my car. Um, you know, and as you went through the game of life, you like collect your people, which I don't wanna have kids and I didn't really then. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna keep going. But I always <laughs> wanted the artist card. I was like, my career, it's artist. I'm always gonna, like, that's what I'm doing. So, so I kind of, I think I always knew I just wasn't in a major rush. Was anybody in your family an
1: artist? There's a, Cause there's always like a background of something where you like, you like for me, I, if I wasn't what I was doing right now, I'd probably be a social worker. Cause my mom was a social worker. So, and I'm great with people. What about you? I mean, was mom, dad, or uncle, somebody, an artist, or older brother, or sibling, or?
4: So my grandmother was a painter. She went to Mica. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Dorothy Pumphrey. Uh, she studied painting uh, and studied fashion design. Actually, which was a lot was a big focus then. Um, but my parents. Both teachers, educators. Uh, My mom is a music teacher, so also music is all around. My other grandmother was a musician and music teacher. Uh, And then my oldest brother, Chris, who lives in Baltimore, Chris Pumphrey, check out his work, um, is a musician. So he uh, is, you know, crushing it at all Uh, bands and gigs that he gets together. um, Definitely, I mean, yeah. Ten years older than me, so I was always watching kind of his career get started when I was, uh, I guess, ten at the time when he was, like, you know, graduating college and stuff. So I definitely have a family of people in the arts. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just, I was always going to be an artist.
1: That's dope. So, <laughs> so you went to MICA, but before you went to Micah, you and I spoke a little bit before that, and we talked about you had a decision to make mm-hmm. uh, before you went to college. And you were a, you're an accomplished swimmer, correct? Mm-hmm. And you're a great artist. How hard of the decision was that? Did you stay up the night crying about it? I mean, seriously, because like I mean, I'm thinking like that's a big choice right there. You know, you either you love two things a lot.
4: Yeah, um, and I definitely you know I, if I wanted to swim in college, I could have studied art somewhere else. Um, but I really wanted to go to Micah, and part of that I did there. Um, pre-college program uh my after my sophomore year of high school I guess I was younger um so I was kind of like hell-bent pretty early on if I'm going to Micah um which the only downside of Micah was that it was so close to my where I grew up (laughs) I wanted (laughs) it to be further away (laughs) but thus you know Baltimore's awesome so here I am but um it was I don't know it wasn't like a majorly hard decision I think I was sad I definitely thought swimming was kind of over for me um and I wasn't like crazy, you know. I wasn't going to swim D one or anything. Um, so it was kind of a decision between a regular mediocre college swimming career, um, or should I go to one of the best art schools in the world and study painting in one of the best programs in the world? So the decision was actually pretty easy. Um, I think it was just sad. I my last like swim meet my senior year. I thought like, wow, that's it. Wow, that's sad. Um, but obviously that's not true at all. We'll talk about that a little bit <laughs> later on. Because <laughs>
1: yeah. it definitely wasn't your last time doing it, doing that. So you end up going to Micah. You're loving school, you're loving life. And you're like, all right, this is like, what was your major there? What was like the major? Painting. Did you painting. And was there a minor? Did you just do straight painting all the way? or
4: uh, I had a poetry minor for a while. Um, I have a love of public speaking. And that was one of my ways of getting at that. Um, I don't actually think I finished it, though. But it was fun.
1: It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so, like, what was your first, like, job out of college?
4: Uh, technically, lifeguard, swim instructor. I also taught water aerobics, which, if you haven't taken a water aerobics class, so fun. <laughs> um, which, I that job I'd had all through college because I, I needed a part-time job throughout school. Lifeguard, obviously, an easy easy go-to as a swimmer. Um, which was great because lifeguarding and teaching swim lessons also got me into coaching. So, coaching swimming was, has definitely been a major chapter of my adulthood. Um, so, I started coaching a club team right after that. Um, but my first job out of you know obviously out of college, well before I went full time as an artist, I had what I call the part time shuffle. <laughs> um, you know, some people call it a part-time hustle. Um, all about shuffling those schedules. But uh, so I was also working at the Village Learning Place in Charles Village, it's a nonprofit uh, library space, and they have this awesome uh, after-school program that's free called Link. Uh, so I was an art teacher in that uh, K, I guess K through eighth eighth um, after-school program.
1: That's dope. That that's really dope. So yeah, I mean the part-time shuffle, I like it. It's like the shuffle, and then. So it's funny you say water aerobics (laughs) because I did do water aerobics. It's funny. I moved back to Baltimore in 05, and I was working at a a place that I had days off during a week week and whatnot. And I remember I went to the YMCA to do water aerobics. And I remember I was like, I was so pumped. I was like, I'm going to this class. I'm going to do it. And I was like the youngest person in the class. Yeah. And it was like, it's all good. And I just like had, it was one of the most amazing six weeks I've had in the water, had met so many cool people, yeah. but it was a great workout. And you know I wish those type of classes are more available like after work and things like this. For it. Yeah. I, it was a great workout and like it doesn't last stress on your muscles and your bones and that nature. So it's pretty mm-hmm. dope. I didn't know that's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, What? Uh, why were you taking classes at?
1: Uh, 33rd.
4: That's where I taught. Okay. And okay. where I lifeguard for five years, four okay. years. Okay,
1: that's, that's what's up. So when did you realize you were like, all right, I need I need, I don't want to do any of this. I want to work for myself.
4: Great question. Uh, so I think, well, so I, I made the leap in 2015. Uh, I graduated undergrad in 2009. So in between there, you know, I was always painting, always working, um, Which I try to, whenever younger, especially just getting started, artists reach out to me of how did you make that leap? One of the first steps I always advise is remember that no matter what other shuffling of jobs you have going on outside of your studio practice, you are always an artist. And likely you're always a full-time artist. And even if you have a full-time day job, as we call it. Uh, you're still a full-time artist. So you're now juggling two full-time jobs, right? And maybe it's like, maybe it's part-time and part-time or maybe that starts to shift a little bit. You know, maybe you can go a little less in the day job and then a little more in the, in the studio. Um, so hopefully that leap doesn't feel as giant. Um, and that's, I think, really how I set it up. Uh, but I, to be honest, I, set, I, I think I set it up without knowing I was setting it up. So I, I never really thought... I was going to be full-time as an artist. I always thought I was going to have some kind of gig on the side. And and then part of that was coaching swimming. I absolutely love it. And I I did think that I was going to always be coaching. And I I know I'll return to coaching in some way um, for fun. Uh, But I was kind of reaching this point where I was selling regularly. Um, In 2014, I just had like a big show and Uh, I went you know things went well I was selling and I saw this kind of opportunity to make that leap where okay if I'm in the studio more I can do more I can do I can take on bigger projects I can do more shows in a year and you know doing shows is always a financial commitment and investment you're spending a lot of money on a group on a body of work hoping that some people buy it eventually um so shows in themselves are like you know, you have to make sure you're set up to do it. So I kind of, um, it was a small window of time where I was really thinking about it. Um, I mean, I would say a couple of weeks of where I saw this window of, I think I can make this leap. And part of that was to so 2015, uh, I knew I was coaching a summer team, the Bolton Hill Barracudas, go Cudas, <laughs> uh, that summer. So it was January, 2015. I knew I was coaching, you know, a short- I guess the season's like seven weeks or something in the summer, you know, okay, I'm going to make some money coaching. And, and that kind of takes over my schedule in the summer. So I just need to make it from January to the summer. So let's see if this, you know, m- couple months leap works. And so by the time I got to the summer, so far I had been working. I was, you know, paying my bills. It really, the definition of working is can I continue to eat, right? <laughs> can, can you keep paying <laughs> your rent? Much. Can you eat? Yeah. So by the time I got to the summer, I was working. Um, and so I, I kind of just, just kept going after that. So it was a nice little, you know, nice summer to, to coach and, and do what I was doing. But um, I kept the full-time thing going.
1: Put on your party hat and join dozens of your friends' neighbors at Live Baltimore's Birthday Bash on July 30th. Tickets to the hottest party of the summer are on sale now. Enjoy an open bar, light fair, live entertainment, birthday treats, and many birthday surprises. Get tickets at birthdaybash2021.eventbrite.com. Folks, we are back with Kitty Pumphrey, uh, the amazing artist from Baltimore. Uh, is, this is an amazing experience. Again, I'm looking around the studio and it's amazing. I mean, I'm looking at this one thing. I mean, it's probably about 15 feet in the air. And I'm just like, I want that. I don't know where I could put it, though. It just looked really cool. I just love the art. So we're getting to that. What kind of art do you make? I mean, like, cause I'm looking around and I'm like, it's it abstract or is it, I don't know. There's another one, dope one over there. over The pink and the, and the other colors. I'm like, that's dope. So what kind of art do you make?
4: Well, I'm a painter. Uh, I always say that. You know, painting is my first and forever love. Um, I'll definitely be, you know, always a painter forever. Um, but I have been diving into sculpture, which has been a terrifyingly fun adventure. And uh, over the last few years, I've also been making some installations. So some of these sculptures are starting to combine some of that thinking. Uh, so painting-wise, I mean, really all of it. This is, you know, my thoughts are cover everything. Um, mm-hmm. I've been... So most of my painting most of my work all in general. I don't know how to talk about all of it yet. So new um, is, def- yeah, abstract, um, which for years it wasn't. For years, uh, my work was very kind of crisp, clear imagery. And, you know, I'm a big fan of making leaps. So in 2017, I did a, stu- a residency in Key West. The studios of Key West uh, artists, If you haven't heard of it, go. It's real fun. Um, and I wanted to see... I mean, imagery I love, and it's super satisfying to render things and make it look like what it is. Um, as a painter, I think that's just like tasty, and yummy. But for me, it wasn't as challenging, um, and didn't. It wasn't like standing the test of time. I and mean, part of that was I really want to engage the viewer a lot more, right? I want them to have to stand there longer, um, and I really want the viewer to work harder without them knowing that they're working harder. Um, so I started kind of taking apart that imagery, and over the last few years, I've definitely gotten closer and closer to abstraction and played a lot more with different mark-making and materials, And which is a, in a big way led me to sculpture, um, which the, I'm working on a few pieces right now. Uh, majority of them include pool floats. Uh, so you heard my story about floating around the pool, right? Hanging out for dear life to a beach ball. So uh, right now I am also making a uh, sculpture all out of, I think it'll end up being like 20 to 30 beach balls. Um, it's a time consuming process. I'm filling them partly um, with stuffing and partially with uh, expanding foam. So it's it's been a process. I mean, painting is so immediate. You know, I do build my own canvases so that process can be time consuming, right? You're, you're cutting the wood, stretching the canvas, priming, all of that kind of lovely, mindless work, um, which I love, but really once you have a canvas painting is, you know, then you're painting. Even 10 minutes in, you, you still have something there to show for um, And while that's true with sculpture, it, it definitely feels like it's so many steps and so much more to think about as far as like, how does this live forever? Or how do I get this to connect? Or how will this not fall and crush people? <laughs> So it's been an interesting process um, that I know I've gotten so many questions on Instagram. Like, what is this? What is it going to be? Can you show us what it looks like yet? Uh, the youth on TikTok, very impatient about it. It's hilarious. Um,
1: You're a TikToker?
4: I'm a TikToker. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll get yeah. into that. <laughs> my uh, my niece, she's 17. She told me to do it. So I'm on it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, my work, I really, for years now, I've been... Um, playing a lot with the tension and connection between chaos and calm, right? So thinking about stillness, thinking about movement. How are those things um, playing off each other, stopping each other, pushing each other? Um, So I've been thinking a lot about when we feel in control of things, right? So when we feel control, we have calm, we have stillness, we have easy breathing. Um, When we have chaos, uh, you know, we really feel like the ground is spitting out from under us and so I think we're we're constantly no matter what it is big or small we're always going through moments of chaos and trying to to calm that down right whether it's you wake up feeling stressed and you um unload the dishwasher and that just one little step makes you feel a little better that's that's that moment um it can also be you know something giant like a pandemic and how we start to feel a little better, you know, <laughs> or, um, I mean, I definitely, as a swimmer, I think a lot about it with swimming. I think a lot about, you know, getting in the water and, and having those like waves of, you know, a roller coaster of emotions where you feel in control and then something shifts and then you got to kind of work again to get that sense of calm. Um, you know, just like you do when you go through your day or your week or your pandemic year.
1: <laughs> you can say that again. So like when you like enter in here and you're like, all right, what am I going to work on today? What am I going to what am I going to do? Is the art for you? Or is it for you think in the mind of the person that is going to buy it? Or you're just going to be like, you know what, I'm gonna do what I do. And then have them interpret it and have them think about it. Or what's the process for you? I know you said chaos. And you said, you know, calm, but like, do you think about the person when you're or the potential buyer? Or you're like, let me make something that I like. And then hopefully somebody likes what I like or
4: when I'm working, I think very little about a buyer. Okay. I think nothing about a buyer. Um, but I do think a lot about viewers. So, um, I mean, I say that because I think being an artist is two full-time jobs, right? You're an artist, you, you're in the studio, you're making the work, you have goals for your work, you have career goals, you know, that all has to do with doing, like, making the work and where the work is going. And I think in that, who do you want to see your work? Um, For me, I would like as many people as possible to see my work. Um, And that is a big reason I'm an artist or a draw to being a Is I I think that art, visual art especially, can can be a way to communicate, interact, connect with as many people as possible, right? We might, might not speak the same language or come from the same place or understand at all the same way we go through about life but we, you can look at a painting and have a reaction maybe it's not the reaction I was thinking you could have but you had one so good job you did it <laughs> you looked at paintings um, so a lot of the times I think I, I am thinking about where can I lead the viewer um, with absolutely no expectation of, of that working out um, but I do think about work my work being, or painting in general. I mean, I, I really do think it's it's the job of a contemporary artist to be thinking about a viewer in some way. Because um, you're putting the work out there in the world. How is it, you know? It's, it shouldn't be about you. Even if it is, it, it might be about you. And if it is about you, that's fine. But once you're not standing next to it, it's going to take on a whole new life of its own. So even if it is completely about you, <laughs> when it's out there in the world, it, it you know, there's a detachment that happens. So... I mean, I'm definitely putting my own experiences into it. Like I said, I think about you know the chaos and calm that I experience as a swimmer, um, but it certainly doesn't need to be that story in itself. You know, I think even when people make really personal work, there's still somewhere along the way it's our job to think about how how am I communicating? How is this starting a conversation with you, the viewer? So, I think a lot about a, a painting being an open door. So maybe I'm leading you a little bit to this door, but once the door is open, you walk through, you can go wherever you want. So that's what I mean by having any kind of connection and having any kind of experience or it makes you think something or remember something or feel something. Whatever it is, once you go through that door, awesome. I just want you to have it.
1: I'm literally, but I'm looking at my pocket. like, I'm like, how, how can I get a loan for one of these paintings in here? I'm serious. It's, it's really dope paintings in here, folks. I mean,
4: it's well, really well, dope. Well, like it's I really said, I, I do accept payment plans. So <laughs> I, I think that's the other side of being an artist, right? So the, you know, I said one side is the is the work, right? So I, I think very little about the buyer in that moment because, those two sides of being an artist, like I said, it's kind of two full-time jobs, right? One making the work. The other is the business, right? How do I sell this shit? How do right. I, how do you? Uh, you know, continue to be, a because artists are businesses. So, you know, how do, how do you do that? So I think of those two jobs as driving two cars.
1: Mm.
4: And the cars will go at different speeds at different times, right? So some... Sometimes the one car driving your work and driving your career is, it needs to kind of constantly be going, right? But it might slow down a little bit for that business. So, you know, and maybe the business slows down, maybe it picks up. That speed of that car is always going to change. But I think it's key to make sure that those cars stay in their, their own lane. They can't merge. So the moment that that business car starts merging towards the artist the work the career car that gets tricky because then that those business decisions start you know seeping in to your studio space and what work you're making and that can happen um or if it does it might not feel good so you know just like two cars merging together it's probably not going to feel good
1: That's a dope analogy i never thought of it like that. thank you i like that now i love it i said That's a dope one. i like that one. the no pics after dark podcast is fueled by zeke's coffee have you tried their coffee yet i'm telling you There is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harper Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit zekescoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. Collabs. Have you done any like wild collabs with any other artists before? And can you tell us a little bit about it?
4: Uh, I Yeah, um, I think collaborating is always really fun. Um, over the last year I've been talking with a handful of artists of like, how can we start to collaborate more? Um, I think right now some of those are on hold because I feel like we're all kind of coming back to a, a regular world of like, Hopefully, um, you know, so I feel like I'm playing catch up a bit. Um, but one of my favorite collaborations was a a two person show I did with, um, Baltimore artist, Alessandra Torres. Um, you should talk to her. She's awesome.
1: Alexandra listening.
4: Yeah. Alessandra.
1: Alessandra. let, Let me know.
4: Yeah. So we were both resident artists at the creative Alliance, um and we so we had a two person show uh in 2014 so she's a sculptor um you know I wasn't diving into sculpture at all but great I'm greatly influenced by her so I definitely have been thinking about her a lot in the studio lately um but the two of us really you know over the course of like a year or more talked about this show and how how are we going to get our our work I think has a lot of connections already um, you know, she's also an athlete, she played tennis very seriously. Um, so we already had these like big connections. So collaborating I think is so fun because if you you know, really have connections and get along with the person you're collaborating with, it's just fun, it's just a party. So we had a great time. Um, and I think the work came out of it was so, it felt so much stronger because of it. So I mean, we were very much making our own work, but you know, kind of bouncing off of each other. So she was just making these giant sculptures. I was making these giant paintings. And then, you know, then we got to like describe the show, name it. It was called Fight or Flight, which I still love to this day. One of the greatest titles ever. Um, But it was just, it was so great. And then I think the beauty of collaborations is then when you, you know, do the thing that you set out to do, you get to celebrate together, which, you know, if anyone knows Alessandra, of course, meant champagne. So always fun. (laughs)
1: I love that. That's a cool story. I mean, I'm literally sitting at edge, listening like, wow, I wish I could have been there. You you're taking me back in time. Like, sounds really cool. I, I love hearing these stories. I really do. I love artists collaborating. That I think people working together is, it's a beautiful thing. Then you get to see each other's talents and you bring out the best, best of each other. Cause you're going to be like, all right, let me up my game a little bit more. It's not going to slight like a competitive thing inside, but you're like, nah, this is what I get it though. I like it. So, where's the furthest you had to go to sell your artwork? Like, where have you, have you ever sold your artwork to like Alaska or like somewhere out the country, like where somebody's like, I want your art, like, like and you're like shipping it off to somewhere else. How does that feel when that happens?
4: It feels good. Um, I, I, over the last year, actually, I think because people were home so much, I was shipping work a lot further. Uh, I think because, you know, we were obviously all stuck at home staring at our walls. So people were, um, you know, inspired to, hang some work, um, and make those investments with artists, but, uh, I know my work has recently traveled to Seattle and, um, various places in California, New York, you know, I, I mean, kind of all over the U.S., but, um, I'm slowly creeping, creeping into Europe and, um, some other places. I, I do have a big painting that's hanging in Switzerland right now. Which I think is very cool. That's
1: dope. That's dope. <laughs> Come on. I mean, we got to give, gotta give like, as young kids say, the flowers. That's what's up. You got to give your flowers or props. I-, I love that. That's, to me, like, I mean, think about it. You're like, I have everyone else, special, when it. it's there. I know it's there. You know, it's, I'm selling in Seattle. It's in California. It's, you know, your work's everywhere. That is really cool. Like, and that's a beautiful thing. And I, again, the whole thing about the premise of the podcast is sharing Baltimore's positive stories. And getting those voices of the unheard. And you know what? Maybe my audience has never heard of you. But guess what? They know who you are now. And my audience is all over. So, again, I'm honored to be here just, like, listening to you. I'm sitting on the edge, like, what else is she going to say, you know? Because it's, it's so exciting to hear you talk. And you, you, she's a huge smile on her face right now, like, telling a story. And that's what it's <laughs> all about. It's contagious, you know? So do you ever do any community events, like, just giving out, like, helping out, like, kids learn how to paint and things? like that? Is that something you're interested in doing or you already do?
4: Yeah, I have. Um, I've, I've definitely done a handful of workshops and classes. Uh, most recently, some of my favorite events with the community, um, you know, or just local students, has been career days at schools, uh, which I love because I, you know, I think a lot of a lot of young kids, students, don't think that you can grow up and be an artist. Right, I didn't even think that I could grow up and be an artist. Even graduating art school, I didn't think that that was possible. Um, So it's been really cool to go to you know career days like at I or I guess I say recently, but it's been a while now because we haven't been outside. (laughs) But um, I've been to career day a few times at Highland Town Elementary Middle School, which very cool um, to talk with them. Uh, You know, because they're talking to you know, doctors and firemen and, um, lawyers, you know, and then, you know, an artist, wait, how do you make money making art? You know? <laughs> so I get to kind of talk that out. Um, which was fun because I, it was one class, I was talking to sixth graders and the, they were in their math class, which my husband is a ninth grade math teacher. So we talk a lot about, uh, the connections between math and everything, right? <laughs> um, but a lot of these students were like, wait, you use math? No way, like, artists aren't good at math. And I'm like, okay, it might not be my strong suit, but I use math every day. You have to. <laughs> which we all do. You have to. Um, which I, 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 you know, over the course of the pandemic, I've been listening to my husband teaching his classes since he's teaching from home. And I do, I hear him say all the time to his students, like, you're gonna use this every day. <laughs> So i like it's that. true
1: <laughs> i like that 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 is, i like i really do like that a lot so we're gonna talk about something about a local brewery you're dealing with right now you're you're working with you have something going on tell us a little bit about what you got going on
4: yeah um i'm a big fan of beer and breweries and baltimore businesses so um ministry of brewing which uh opened right before the pandemic so uh it's been super awesome to partner with them um they've obviously been navigating starting a new thing in a strange time um but right as they opened in january 2020 i think um they reached out to me about hanging work so i have 17 paintings hung in the lobby um so when you first walk in which if you haven't been ministry of brewing is in um Brewers or sorry Butcher's Hill. It's also where I live. Um, Butcher's Hill and uh, Upper Fell. So it's kind of like right where those uh, two neighborhoods meet. And it's a giant church. Um, so when you walk in there, it is just like mind-blowingly epic uh, of a space. And um, so my paintings are right in the in the lobby. So you walk in and greeted by, you know, my colorful abstract paintings, and then you walk into this like expansive, beautiful church. Um, which is the only way to get me into a church. (laughs) So that's that's been great. Um, But so inside, there was this wall that kind of wraps around the corner and kind of leads to these, you know, giant windows um, that they wanted some color in. So the, you know, up by the altar, which is now replaced by brewing equipment, um, as it should be, uh, (laughs) is there's a giant painting on the ceiling and, you know, there's all these colorful... um, things happening, you know, around Jesus. <laughs> um, so they wanted to bring some color to the other side of the of the brewery. And so some of the installations that I've been playing with over the past few years have been making these large, uh, you know, colorful marks on paper, you know, so you're kind of making like all these different colors, kind of thinking about your palette of what might go into a painting. But instead of combining those on the paper, I then cut out the marks. So it kind of makes them, you know, on their own like a sticker in a way um and then so this insulation then takes those marks on paper and kind of takes over the space so i've loved that insulation has been a way to i I, most of my paintings are large scale i do have smaller paintings that i make mostly from the scrap wood from making the large paintings (laughs) um Mm. but i love big paintings because i love how they swallow you whole right i love when you stand in front of a giant canvas it you know you, you can be kind of like sucked into it and it forces you to step forward. It forces you to back up. You have this whole experience of the giant painting. Installation is that times 10 because you get to like round the corner and go over, you know, the beam and up to a light fixture. You know, it's like you're really taking over the space. So even with those same marks, this is what I've loved about working with these cutouts is that those marks have been in every installation I've done which at this point I think I've, you know, it's maybe a dozen in the past couple years. Um, so those cutouts have now lived many lives in different spaces. And so every time it's different, even though the color palette is very similar or, um, you know, it's like exactly the same cutout, but now they get to kind of go on a whole new adventure.
1: That's dope. I'm, I'm definitely going to go check it out now. I'm definitely going to check it out and like take pictures and be like, oh, I just talked with her on the, on the interview. On the yeah, interview. So do it. Order,
4: order the lady day. It's delicious. The lady delicious. day.
1: Okay, the lady day. That's definitely on, on my next to do things, you know. Um, so, let's go back to swimming. Yeah. We're going to bring it back to swimming. Love it. The No Picks After Dark Podcast is proudly sponsored by Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. So, saw on the TV, on the tube, <laughs> that you swam the English channel. I did. Tell me what goes into that. Because remember, folks, we she talked about she was a swimmer in high school. That's what we talked about in the beginning. And then it was, I made sure I to sort of stress about you had a choice to make. And now we're coming back to swimming. She was a coach. Now, English Channel. Tell us about that. Who wakes up and says, I want to swim English Channel? Like, how does that even happen?
4: (laughs) Uh, It just does, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the best way to answer the question is to kind of finish that story, right? So we talked about swimming in high school and then I went to Micah. So, you know, I chose not to swim in college and I thought my swimming career was over. Sad. Um, But as a swimmer, and using that as a skill, I taught some lessons, um, lifeguarded, and then got into coaching, um, which coaching that w- it's definitely been a big takeaway and push into my work because co- it's just fascinating to watch athletes, uh, think and learn, especially when they're like five. So cute. Um, but while I was at Micah, you know, doing those things, um, I was still swimming, you know, for exercise and and fitness and, uh, but very much feeling like I needed a goal. So I I definitely recognize that I am a goal oriented person, Um, you know, similar to, I was also a runner and in order to stay, to keep running without being miserable, I would sign up for things, right? (laughs) So you sign up for a 5K or 10K, you know, whatever, um, just so that you have, some little threat to work towards. Otherwise you're not, you're just going to, you'll, you'll make it, but it's not going to be as fun. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) I got you. That makes sense.
4: So I, uh, started doing some research of what goals, you know, what's, what, what thing in the water can I sign up for and work towards? So right after I graduated Micah, I signed up for the Chesapeake Bay swim, uh, which is 4.4 miles from, uh, what's that park called? Any Sandy Point. Sandy Point. Yeah, sandy that's point the one. Area. Thank sandy you. Point. Um, and you, you swim from there, and then you swim between the the Bay Bridge spans, which is one of the coolest swims ever. Because if you turn over and do backstroke, you look up and it's just these giant span. You know those two that do wow. the the Bay Bridge, like giant. Wow, it's so tall. Um, just like hovering over you. So it's it's awesome. Um, but it's a rough swim. It's it's a uh, you know, it was a pretty wild current and big waves, very choppy um, and like hundreds of swimmers in it. So, you know, that was really my first introduction to open water swimming. And, you know, it was so fun and so hard. So that was 2010. Um, so my first, that was my first open water swim, um, which, the, yeah, the wild thing about that is like, you know, you're, it's a mass start. So some other some other swims, it's like much more casual um, or, and, and definitely not as big. That's one of the biggest swims, I think, on the East Coast. So you're starting with like 200 to 300 people rushing into the water. Like (laughs) there is a million dollars in front of them (laughs) and people are kicking each other. They're swimming over you. I mean, it was swimming, combining, you know, that and like wrestling (laughs) plus water polo plus murder, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it was so fun (laughs) and epic. Um, so I loved it. I mean, and after that mass start it kind of spreads out and then you're not around people as much, but, um, It was great. So that was definitely, okay, I'm hooked. I love open water swimming. So I did that again the next year. So that was 2010. I swam again in 2011. I also signed up for a little longer swim. So I did the Potomac River swim, which goes from Point Lookout State Park in St. Mary's, or I guess you start in Virginia. So it goes from Hull Neck, Virginia, and you swim back to St. Mary's, which was really fun uh, because once you kind of get over five miles It's safest to have, um, you know, those bigger swims where it's a shorter distance, under five, you know, they're going to have like dozens and hundreds of of safety boats out there watching you. Um, But when it's longer, there are still like lead boats and the Coast Guard is out there making sure you're not going to get run over by a tanker, but each swimmer then has their own kayaker. So that that was my first introduction to swimming with like a crew. So... My first Potomac swim, both my brothers, Chris and Sean, uh, kayaked for me. Very fun, also doing that, my first big swim with my brothers, because they are hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, also in that swim, my brother, Sean, his kayak sank, hilarious. Oh, no. It was awesome, I look back, he's just like, one leg in the air, kayak, hold. it was <laughs> so funny. Um, he it was fine, he made it. <laughs> but uh, That experience of like working with a crew, I love so much. I mean, I think it's very, it's very fun like as a swimmer out in the water navigating buoys and, you know, sighting forward and, you know, where are you going? Um, but with a crew, it kind of breaks up the time a little more. Um, so I did that swim a handful more times. So then in 2013, which I guess would have been my, my third time doing that swim, um, I was halfway across. Again, that's seven and a half miles. Um, it was just me and my brother, Sean. And I had this thought of, and that, that swims, you know, roughly taking me like three and a half to four hours. So I'm halfway across having great time. And I thought, you know, I want to do something bigger. <laughs> you know, it's also like a few months to train for that thing. And then that thing happens. And then, and then you're kind of bummed. Cause like now what? Um, and like kind of season after season doing the same swims, I felt like now nah, I need something bigger to work towards um and not only just big to work towards but like other big ones to work towards along the way so that's when i started thinking you know i want to do something like 20 miles or more and this is all me thinking like while i'm swimming in the dirty potomac river
1: yeah i'm thinking this like (laughs) just to tell me like you're having these thoughts swimming across the river and like six miles or five miles and like let me think about i'm like no let me get out i'm thinking like get yeah out, let me get out of this thing but go ahead
4: yeah no and i say dirty as because it's it's fine to swim in but uh <laughs> you know any water around here is brackish so right it's mm-hmm. like a little darker you know even our atlantic ocean is uh not as, as clear wow. so there's not a lot to look at therefore my my mind goes a lot of places <laughs> so so anyway so i'm i'm there thinking about a 20 mile swim kind of going through what I know about where do you do those swims and so then I I thought about the English Channel and so I'd also just recently read a book called Dover Solo which is written by Marsha Cleveland Uh, and, and she's talking that book is like all about her experience of training and then swimming the English Channel so I just kind of freshly had it in my head but so I'm halfway across the Potomac and I think you know I'm gonna do that I'm going to swim the English Channel because it's the mother of them all, right? It's like in history, that's one of the biggest swims in in history. It's like, you know, there are swims that are harder in other ways. Um, but I think that is like the hardest in all of the combinations, right? It's not, it's the distance, it's the, the currents and the waves and the um, turbulence of it all. But then it's also cold. So... You know, there are swims that are colder, there are swims that are further, but the English Channel is like all of them. So then, so it's just like, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, And I truly think it is the hardest open water swim. But, so in order to swim that, you have to book, you know, you have to like sign up for things and book a boat and um, coordinate all of that pretty far in advance. So the first step is, is booking a, a boat. So you kind of sign up with a captain. Um, we call them pilots. So the pilot, they're booked, cause there's only like 12 or 13 that are allowed to do this. So you can't just like get on any boat and swim across the English Channel. It has to be like official. Um, you know, so they're booked two, two or three years in advance. So this is 2013. I was really making this decision, you know, in the fall of 2014 and then I was booked around then for a swim, right, that's yeah, fall of 2013. So I'm booked two years in advance to swimming in the channel. So I thought in those two years, I'm gonna be as prepared as possible. I'm also gonna do a handful of swims along the way. So working up towards the English channel, I did um, you know, several kind of 15 mile swims, um, sign up for other things that would get me as prepared as possible. And then you go to England and then, and then you go for it. So it's a it's a wild experience because even, um, you know, a lot of things you sign up for, you get a day, right? Like, here, meet us on June 10th and you will do your thing. No, the English Channel is like, here's a window of 8 to 10 days. You will get maybe 12 hours of notice. Be there ready at any time. Not just any time, like 9 a.m., like any time of day. So I got a call. So my window was like the eighth through the 14th or something. I got a call on the 6th saying at like two o'clock in the afternoon saying, meet me at the boat at 2 a.m. on the 7th. So early, not even my window, a day before my window, because really you're just waiting for the weather and the conditions to be great. So it's that window because you're going by tides. So I was swimming on a neap tide, which hopefully means that you know, the swing between high and low tide is as chill as it's going to (laughs) be. In the English Channel, chill between high and low tide doesn't really exist. (laughs) Um, The greatest demonstration of that is the harbor in Folkestone. Um, At low tide, the boats are sitting on the bottom. No water in the harbor. Wow! As it switches to high tide, water rushes in and then they're floating in like 10 feet of water. It's Bananas. That's insane. Yeah. So the the swing between high and low tide. You know, it's kind of like when you are at the beach, right. and you got to move your chair back a little bit, a little bit more as it's you know high tide. This is like that times a lot more. I don't actually know what the percentage of it is, but it's a lot. <laughs> so, um, so it's it's a really wild experience. But so you are really waiting for that that window, and then, um, you know, the the conditions are also like when is the wind going to be chill? You know, when is the, you know, that kind of window of opportunity. So whenever you get it, you go. Um, So I started, we met the boat at 2 a.m. Mind you, the boat was sitting on the bottom of the (laughs) harbor. So literally the pilot, the captain and his uh, mate walked out to the boat to put our stuff on it. And then we're standing there watching water rush in, get on the boat, you know, 45 minutes later or so. And then um, they boat you out to the start point, which is Shakespeare Beach. and they get in as far to the beach as possible and then it was at three fifteen in the morning they're shining a little flashlight on the beach like 200 yards away and they're like okay jump in go ahead <laughs> so you have to then swim into the beach by yourself at you know three fifteen in the morning um following a little glowing flashlight like you know ball of light uh and work your way to the beach and then they like flash the flashlight twice, and then you go. <laughs> wow! So it was it was a wild experience.
1: That's intense. That that wow. How and how long did it take you to swim to from point A to point B?
4: So point A to point B is 21 miles in a straight line, um, but you swim most swimmers you swim in an S um, to kind of account for the change in tide and um, you know because there there's like you know, you have water coming in from the Atlantic Ocean and you have water coming in from the North Sea. So it's, that's why the English Channel is just turbulent because of, it's like a tiny, tiny space for a whole lot of water to rush. Um, so my swim was 14 hours, 19 minutes. Um, and you know, the the wild thing about open water swimming is you can do the same swim over and over and over again, but it is always gonna be different because the day is gonna be different. The conditions are gonna be different. Um, so it's, it's one thing I love about that swim and that community, the community of swimmers around it is that people always ask you like, how long were you in for? It's not just how long did it take you? It's like, how long were you in for? Because there's something about going fast, but then there's also something about being in 60 degree water for a really long time. Um, You know, so I met someone that, that had done that swim in like 18 hours and it's like, whoa, like you're slower, you know, that's like slower, but like, that's badass. You're in cold water for a really long time. Right. Wow. Good on you. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow.
1: Now, rumor has it you're going back. Yeah. When are you going back?
4: So next July. Uh, so July 2022, my window is like the 19th through the 27th or something. Um, so any, you know, sometime in there. Uh it may actually be earlier. I don't actually remember.
1: So, you, so basically you just, <laughs> you just fly over there during that time period and you sit in like a hotel room or wherever it may be. You just wait for the phone to ring.
4: Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like, kind of like the
1: pager goes off. Yeah. And it's like the back, it's like the back signal goes outside and like, it's your time. And you're like, it's time to go.
4: Right. So in the, yeah. So I was supposed to swim it this coming July. Um, and when COVID hit, I pushed it back a year. So I knew that, you know, and, and I, and it was true that I wasn't in the water consistently for the last week, the last year because of COVID, um, when pools are closed and then in the winter, I didn't feel comfortable swimming in an indoor pool. And so now, yay, being outdoor pool and yay to be vaccinated. Um, you know, now I feel good being prepared as possible for next year. So, um, you... The wild thing about it is so on a tide uh, there are, uh, each pilot will usually take four swimmers on a tide. So within that tidal window, the first best day swimmer one goes. The second best day swimmer number two goes. But if for whatever reason, swimmer number two is like, "Mm, no, I'm not feeling it. Or like the weather is too small. Maybe they're like a slower swimmer, you know, then it moves to swimmer three. So I think I'm swimmer three on this tide. So the the last time I was swimmer one, which is why I went a day early. So the wild thing about English Channel is that you can even go and not get your swim in. Like you can not even get to try. Yeah, just because the the conditions are so unpredictable in that way. So one of the the really cool thing about the whole experience though, is that the town of Dover, which is where in the harbor in Dover, swimmers from kind of all over the world will go and train there. So even swimmers that aren't swimming in the English Channel will go and train. Um, And there's a whole community of swimmers that live nearby that are always there. Um, But throughout the English Channel season, there are just like dozens and dozens of swimmers, you know, and not only solo swimmers, because some people do it through a relay, Um, but so you can go and train. So while you're waiting for your day, or waiting for your opportunity to, you know, to get a chance, um, you know, you go and train as much as you can. And part of that is like keeping sane and um, swimming as much as possible while you're waiting.
1: People are going to ask me this question and I'm going to make sure I ask it. How long does it take you to train for something like this? Read a train, how long does it take? Like you are, you're going next year. It took, you didn't take a year off, but you were being safe for COVID. How long does it get you mentally and physically ready to get to go for that swim?
4: Well, I used to answer that when I was training for my first one and people said, how long were you training for? I, and I still truly believe this, my whole life, right? I, like think, um, I think there's a big, a big thing to remember with swimming. While, you know, we look at like fitness crazes, right? So signing up for a marathon or half marathon or you know whatever kind of running race, um, you don't need to have been a runner, right? And a big part of that is you can walk <laughs> if you need to, you can take True. a break. Um, in open water, you really need to be as prepared as possible. So, and, and I, don't, I don't think you need to have been a swimmer your whole life, but um, I think there's a lot of swimming you have to do before it. Um, so, and, and part of that is the, the rules around the English Channel is you, you can't touch anything or anyone. You can't hang on the boat. You can't get on the boat, you know, there's no, no breaks. Um, your crew will be throwing you food and things, you know, like throughout it. But, uh, I mean, for me as a swimmer, you know, I, I, I believe I can be ready by next year. Um, but that is also having put years and years into the sport of marathon swimming or, you know, even ultra marathon swimming, which is really what this is. So, um, my body has already learned a lot about how to do this, um, so there's some, when a lot of swimmers reach out to me uh, and ask, you know, how, sh- how can I train for this? Um, which I would be down to coach someone to swim in the English Channel. Um, but my first question is always, what swims have you done so far? Because um, I think you really have to love it. It's a lot of time in the water. It's a lot of time to get there. So, um, you know, I talked about the differences between that swim, like the bay, the Chesapeake Bay swim where you're with hundreds of swimmers and you know, you're kind of alone out there. Um, that's a very different experience than swimming next to a boat, which is also a different experience than a kayaker. When you're next to a kayaker, you know, they're right there kind of at water level, ready to talk to you on a boat. It's not only a whole crew navigating this swim with you, which is so fun, um, but it, you know, that's also, it, it adds a whole different dynamic to it. Um, but also swimming next to a boat means tasting diesel you know, it <laughs> means the sound. It means, you know, a boat kind of towering over you. I mean, you're you're far, you're far away from it, but it, you know, it is just a different feel. And I think, um, you know, if you're thinking about it, awesome. If you want to work towards it, amazing. But really, make sure you love it because um, it should be fun.
1: I love it. I love it. That, that I'm blown away. This has been one of the most amazing podcasts I've done. I'm I'm blown away with just how much you've just broken down, shared to the community. It's just, thank you so much.
4: Yeah, my well, pleasure. You, but you're
1: not off the hook, right? you don't have to hook right. You don't have to hook yet. Yeah. Cool. All right, this is the speed round, okay? Oh, this is the speed round. I'm ready. All right. What is your favorite art museum?
4: Ooh, uh, the Baltimore Museum of Art, locally. Uh, I also love the National Gallery of Art and the Tate Modern in London.
1: Artists dead or alive you would love to have worked
4: with? Grace Hartigan. Uh she's a Baltimore abstract painter. Uh badass lady. Read all about her.
1: Old Bay hot sauce or Frank's red hot sauce.
4: Ooh. <laughs> I do love hot sauce. Um I don't know if you're familiar with the show Hot Ones. Highly uh, recommend it. Okay. Um Ooh. Well I love Old Bay. As a Maryland girl, obviously <laughs> I love Old Bay, but I love hot sauce. So if I had to choose between the two, I'd probably pick Frank's hot sauce. But if I'm just going hot sauce in general, heartbeat hot sauce is my recommendation.
1: Right, heartbeat, I'm, I'm gonna look that up. Delicious. Flats or drums for chicken wings?
4: Ooh, drums.
1: Blue cheese or ranch?
4: Blue cheese, no contest.
1: Okay, there we go. We, we good, we good. Crab cakes or crabs?
4: Crabs. Come on people.
1: I, I love it. I love it because as I tell people about crabs, I'm like, your phones are down, so you can't touch your phone. You're enjoying the conversation. Right. That's what's it's all it's, about. It's the
4: experience of it, you know? I was just actually just talking to my mom about this because she is more of a fan of crab cakes, which is wrong.
3: <laughs>
4: crabs, it's, it's a whole experience. You Not gotta every, go for it.
1: Now everybody can make crab cakes. Now everybody can do it. If he, it's, yeah. it's, so it's weird. It's, yeah. What is the best advice you've ever received?
4: Be your biggest fan. Be your own biggest fan. Uh, you can't rely on anyone else to do it. Um, you know, hopefully you have a community of friends and family around you supporting you, but at the end of the day, you still need to be into what you're into. And in the low moments of doubt, you have to be the one to say, come on, you got this.
1: Thank you, artist, open swimmer, Katie Pumphrey for coming on the No Picks Other the Dark podcast. This has been an amazing experience. Where can we find you on? I am gonna say it now. We're bringing back the TikTok, I know. the social media. Where can we find you so we can catch up and like be up to date with everything you are doing out in the world right now?
4: Uh, my website, katiepumphrey.com. dot uh, Instagram, katiepumphreyart. I am on TikTok. Uh, check that out. Um, if you are a youth on TikTok, be nice to me. And, uh, yeah, I'm also on Facebook and, uh, feel free to email me or send me any DMS, uh, anytime. I'm happy to chat. I love meeting new people.
1: Hey, love, peace and happiness. Guys have a great day.